do you have to be a computer engineer or a computer scientist or an electrical engineer or a statistician to, to make it in, in the tech world? Welcome to the podcast, What Does It Take? PM Edition. This podcast focuses on interviewing current product managers in tech regarding their unique background and experiences with the goal to answer one question. What does it take to become a PM? I'm Sean. I'm Ray. And we are both PMs at Microsoft and we co-host the podcast, What Does It Take? And today we have a guest, Samir Seya. Samir is a program manager at Microsoft and has been with the company for two and a half years. He graduated from Purdue University with a degree in mechanical engineering and loves dedicating his time to solving hard problems he's personally been affected by. Welcome, Samir. Welcome, Samir. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Why don't we start with you telling us a bit more about your background? Totally. Um, so I guess I should just put it out there um, up front and center. I never planned on, on being a program manager. Um, but I think it's a really, really cool role, and I think it's awesome to learn about how other people became PMs as well, so I'm happy to share my story. When I was a sophomore at Purdue University, um, I was crossed between the career path I wanted to take. On the one hand, I was studying mechanical engineering, so there were a lot of career paths that I was, um, I was told by faculty and staff were very common for mechanical engineers to go into, working in the automotive industry, working in the oil industry, working for manufacturing companies, et cetera. While all these interest, uh, industries were super, super interesting to me, um, the summer before my sophomore year, I stumbled upon the world of software by starting a company with some friends in my hometown. And while the company didn't become a huge success, one of the things we did learn was how powerful software was when you could share what you created with people and how cheap it was to build um, kind of uh, products without having to put too much money down. So you just mentioned you noticed the power of software, so much so that you went out and actually built software. So why don't you tell our audience a bit more about what the software did that you built? Totally, yeah. So um, one of the problems that I encountered my, my freshman year was that a lot of students would always be interested in doing things on campus, but never knew when those activities occurred. And so we really wanted to connect student organizations with uh, students that were new to, to college. Um, and we built a simple web app to do that. Um, and one of the things it uh, got used for um, more than we thought it would be was, uh, was for parties, which was an interesting find. So do you feel like working on this application helped you to become a PM today? Um, I think any entrepreneurial en endeavor prepares you for a wide variety of roles. Um, I definitely think that taking that step my freshman summer when I didn't have an internship to go out and do something on my own prepared me for um, feeling confident when I went to the career fair my sophomore year when I was really looking for an internship. And one of the things that really attracted me to the PM role was it was kind of a combination of all these skills I learned as a budding entrepreneur that I wanted to sharpen. I wanted to sharpen how to work with a team. I wanted to sharpen how to take a product and launch it to market. I wanted to sharpen how do you then scale products extremely fast and extremely efficiently. 
Um, and, and then the product management role is one of the few that you could experience all these things. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned your entrepreneurship experience. Um, me and Sean both have our entrepreneurship experience um, in, while in college too. And we both believe that, you know, having that background and just going through the experience really sharpened your skill to really think about the big vision and, you know, really going through that obstacles to uh, think about the purpose while you're building and understanding the customer, where they're coming from. Um, I think that really relates to PM just in general. And uh, I thought it was really interesting you brought that up. I would assume most college freshmen are probably not going off and starting their own side project. You know, they just probably left home for the first time and they're getting acclimated to the college lifestyle. So what inspired you to go out and pursue a side project such as this? I think it's kind of close to what uh, Ray alluded to just now. Um, there's a certain amount of empathy you form for problems you've been in yourself. So as a freshman in university, I realized that, wow, there's so much going on on campus. How can anyone ever know all these things that are going on? Um, and I became very empathetic to freshmen when I became a sophomore because I knew all the problems that they had just been through. Um, and I like to kind of use this as a mantra in, in my own head of if you've been through life experiences and you've noticed that things didn't go as well as they could have, that right there is automatically an opportunity that you can create something better. And being a, a PM puts you at the forefront of sharing those stories and scenarios to get people motivated to go and talk, tackle those problems. So Samir, on that, do you think um, your traits of trying to tackle the real life problem, do you think that kind of developed when you were younger? Or was that something that you think like it's always been there and that's always been you? Because a lot of people, when they encounter a problem, they just kind of sit back and I guess it is what it is and not do anything about it. But what, from your story, it sounds like you went on to really try to solve that problem and you know, take it head on, right? So where do you think that side of you came from? Um, I feel like I'm going to answer this question and people that know me are going to have a lot of opinions about it, but I'll, I'll put forward my, um, my perspective of this. Um, as a kid, I was extremely lazy, and I think everyone would agree with me on that. Um, but at the same time, I loved to think about things very deeply. Um, and I was known like at the age of like 10 or 11, I spent a lot of time in this rocking chair in our family room looking out at the backyard and just just thinking about random stuff that had come across me that day. Um, now, the, the piece that's interesting is a lot of people like to think deeply, but then they very easily can say, okay, I'm done thinking about this. Let me move on with my life. Um, the ability to take action on a problem that really affected you is super hard. And it, it's actually something that hasn't become easier over time, mainly because we're flooded with new problems all the time, right? The, the world is very noisy, and so it's very easy to hop from one problem to the next and not do anything about the first one. So um, for me, the, the moment that really changed or, or, or made me aware of the fact that I needed to start taking action was when I was doing my startup and I realized how hard it was to tell people to pick up the phone and make a call. That was like a defining moment. For, for me, it's, 
that really defines passion in my book. If someone is willing to make an effort beyond just, you know, posting on social media or, or liking something, but pick up the call, talk to someone as if it was their own problem, then that's a huge indicator that they're ready to take action for whatever problem it is that they're solving. Yeah, to take away a few points from what you just had mentioned, Samir, I completely agree. Passion is extremely important. I think all great PMs have a level of passion that they expose in the work that they're doing. I remember my sophomore year when I went to the career fair, um, a lot of students weren't looking for internships, even at their sophomore year. They, they were waiting until their junior year to really look for an internship and then senior year for a full-time job. And the one thing I heard a lot of my sophomore year was, oh, I don't think I'm ready for an internship. I don't think companies are looking for people of my, of my year. Um, and I think the one message I have is while companies do set requirements of like, we want someone in their third year with this amount of coursework under their belt. Um, from my personal experience, companies love people that are self-motivated and aren't afraid to stand in front of a booth and say, I have experience, I'm confident in my skill set, and I know what I want to do with my skill set. Um, and that's one of the things that I personally experienced with, with Microsoft being a sophomore in mechanical engineering, which is a pretty uncommon major for them to hire interns out of, at least at the time, it's becoming more common, um, to be able to talk to with the recruiter to the point where I was able to get interview cycles um, to show off how passionate I was about solving the same problems that they were tackling at the time. Yeah, I 100% agree to that because the more you do, the comfortable, the more comfortable you'll feel about that. I mean, at first time, everybody's scared of, you know, talking to the recruiter at the career fair and whatnot. But, you know, the worst comes worse, you'll embarrass yourself maybe a little bit to your recruiter, but you're not losing anything about yourself. But at least you'll gain more confidence and you know what to say next time, learning from that mistakes, right? But, you know, what I really found interesting was that you brought up the sophomore and freshman and junior because I wanted to ask if you can go back in time to the freshman time, uh, the first year, what would you, you know, tell yourself or what would you change about yourself back then? There's, there's a lot I would, I would change. Um, but I think in relation to, like, career goals and getting ahead um, earlier on, um, I think the one thing is just doing projects. Um, a lot of times as uh, a college student, you divide your time up in two places. There's, there's your academic involvements, and then there's your interest-based involvements. Um, and sometimes there's, there's collision in, in, in both of those. Um, a lot of times people who might be mechanical engineers also want to be on a solar car racing team, right? Because those things work out really well. Um, one of the things I wish I did more of, though, was just personal projects on my own, like sit down for an hour or two every week, try to learn something and then implement it right away. Um, you get washed by theory in a lot of your classes. Um, and while they're, they're doing a better job of bringing schoolwork outside of just theoretical stuff, it's very hard to take what you read in a textbook and apply it if you never like take time out for yourself. Um, you're, you're in this constant rat race of, okay, I just finished this midterm. I now have to learn all this content to do well in the next midterm, but I also want to have fun with, with, with my friends. Um, if I was like my freshman year, I'd say, Samir, like, I know you want to go out with your friends, but take two hours before you do that, right? Read up 
on some cool new IoT thing that you're really interested in, or try learning a new programming language, or hey, Arduino looks cool, let's try plugging stuff into it and, and see if it works. Um, and then through that experience, build that confidence early. And I think if there's one opportunity that every college student should go after if they want to be a PM is do hackathons. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, some of the hackathon ideas that you did and why you think hackathons are a great project starting point for, you know, the early, early students? Definitely. Um, every uh, in, incoming college student that, that talks to me and asks me, like, well, what should I do if I want to, like, get a job in, in 2019? Right. Um, the reason I tell them to do hackathons is it allows you to find what your pain threshold is when it comes to working in groups. So one of the things that happened after I'd interned at Microsoft for two summers was I, I knew how to kind of communicate really well. Um, I knew a lot about the tech space just because of the amazing information and experience you gain as an intern at Microsoft that I wanted to start to see if I could apply that to solve problems I was experiencing once again, right? So this, this passion comes back to, to haunt me. And for, for hackathons, um, none of my friends in mechanical engineering wanted to participate with me because they were, this is like a very you know, coding-centric thing. I don't really like coding. I don't really know how to code. And it just seems like a weekend that's gone. So for me, it was I needed to get to the hackathon. I needed to find a group of people I need to create something, and I need to then sell it back to try and win an award for that, all within the 24 or 36-hour time period that this hackathon was taking place. That, to me, was a really, really cool challenge. And to me, it was how much of this can I actually complete in this 36-hour time period um, and then see where my skill set was lacking. And the thing that surprised me is purely from experience of doing projects on my own, being very involved in leadership positions and clubs, I was not only able to create uh, you know, some kind of hacked up project in that time, but even win, right? And that shattered my mindset of what people are actually trained to do in university. Um, one of my favorite projects that I did as a hackathon was in the, um, at uh, Purdue Boiler Hacks. Um, we created this little um, device for a table, which lit up different colors based on the status of the people sitting at the table. And you might wonder, okay, that seems like a useless product. What's that good for? Uh, well, well, the problem that I had experienced was our library, it was impossible to find tables to sit at because you never knew if you could share a table with someone that was studying there. And so I figured, why not have some kind of indicator on the table for people that were okay with sharing their space or people that really had that space reserved and didn't want anyone else disturbing them, right? So simple problem, uh, reason to go to a hackathon, but you learn so much about building it. You, you learn what it's like to work for 36 hours straight and you realize that there's very few opportunities you have in college to really test that pain threshold and this is one of them. Samir, I can really relate to that experience too. Uh, hackathon is something that a lot of people is becoming more and more familiar with. But the, a lot of the big challenge that some students face is, am I good enough to be a hackathon? Am I good enough to build something in 24-hour, 48-hour time frame? And my first hackathon in my own experience was that I did it 
after taking one computer science course and I didn't know anything about coding and I just thought it would be interesting to participate. Heard about the global game jam, so we were building like games. The one thing people will find, one thing I found was that everybody's super encouraging and the ambience that you'll feel is, it's not really competitive trying to win you over, but it's more so, oh, what are you building? That's cool, like can I try it out? Why don't you try, you know, building this part in, add this feature? So it's more of a feedback come and go, uh, more of a positive environment. So I feel like if, even if you don't have, you feel like you don't have the competency to participate, you can just join in and see what you can contribute. Maybe not, you're not competent in coding, but maybe you can contribute in bringing the team together and make sure the projects are on time and on due and being done at the right time, right? So I thought that was really interesting in that sense. That's, I, I could totally relate to that. That's exactly my experience as well. That's super cool. So yeah, let's switch gears to talk a little more about like PM. Like how did you hear about the PM and when did you actually decide that PM is the right path for you to pursue? From hackathons and uh, entrepreneurship ventures that I did in college and even um, like see my, my senior design project, um, I realized that while I really like to get my hands dirty and build things, I also love to think about the system level of thinking. Um, that when you have um, systems that are really, really complex, you have to be very strategic about how you grow them, why you improve them, and who you're building things for at the end of the day. Um, and that is a role that's core to the, the, the PM. Um, and un unfortunately, as a, uh, an engineer or a developer, while you are a part of that movement of making things happen, your visibility of the full system is often impeded because you have to become very knowledgeable about your part. Um, and so what I found was that while I did like getting my hands dirty, my, my true passion wasn't understanding that system. Um, and it, it kind of brought up um, an interesting other lesson that I learned in this whole thing, which is, do you have to be a computer engineer or a computer scientist or an electrical engineer or a statistician to, to make it in, in the tech world? Um, and while I think it's definitely beneficial to be in those majors because you do cover a lot of this in your schoolwork, um, one of the coolest things I found from mechanical engineering was that the system level theoretical stuff we learned that was based on physics translates extraordinarily well when you look at the systems that are built on a computing level as well. So Samir, do you have any advice you would give to non-technical majors currently in college? Um, I think one of the uh, difficult things about coming from a non-technical background and wanting to be a, a PM given a different major, whether it's mechanical engineering, another engineering major, or even something as crazy as political science or, or history, is you often hear a lot of words and phrases that you just don't understand. Um, so it's important to, first of all, try your best to understand those things and try your best to understand it well enough that you can explain it to others. Uh, one of the biggest parts of the PM role is clear communication. And one of the easiest ways you can practice it is by absorbing extremely complex things that come your way and then explaining it to people who you think will have no chance of ever understanding it. Um, it's almost like a superpower as a PM. I think the other thing I would tell 
people that are coming from backgrounds that are not maybe computer science, computer engineering focused, and they want to go into a PM role at a tech company, is think about the problems you're solving. Uh, when I first went to Microsoft, I was joining the Windows Embedded team. And to me, that was an interesting transition team from mechanical engineering because you had this group of people that were trying to put computers in everyday objects. And while they understood the computers really, really well, oftentimes it's easy to forget that when you put a computer in a car, it's still a car, right? When you put a computer in a manufacturing equipment, it's still manufacturing equipment. And so you need to start thinking along different lines and this cross-disciplinary, um, the, the advantage of being cross-disciplinary is that you have empathy for two different groups of people at that point. Yeah, and I think from some of the non-technical background uh, individuals, the skill set you can bring is that storytelling ability. Being able to tell a great story as a PM is an extremely valuable skill. How often do you use storytelling in your day-to-day -day job, Samir? I use storytelling multiple times a day. I was really bad at storytelling when I started in college, but I realized that storytelling is great for not only building clarity for other people, but for grabbing people's attention, getting them hyped about the problems you're solving, and like being really, really persuasive every single day to make sure that things happen the way that you want them to. Yeah, there's a lot of value in building a really complex piece of technology, but then being able to simplify it enough that the average user can understand it. And that's one of the powers a PM needs to bring to this job. And uh, you don't need to have a necessarily a technical background to tell a great story. You just need to have a technical background to understand the story you're going to tell. Definitely. Some of the coolest PMs I've had the chance to work with have often come from history backgrounds. Um, and the whole premise of history is you're telling people about how things were before. Um, and so when you bring a history major into a technical kind of environment, they start to get to tell the story of what things will be like in the future. Um, at the core of the PM role, it's how do you create scenarios that are going to really, really help people and wow them in the future. So do you have any recommendations on opportunities that our audience should take advantage of when it comes to networking? Networking is huge. Networking um, is, it just, it just riches. Every single person you meet and you talk to and you connect to just expands what is possible. And it's really important to, to realize that and understand that. And to, when, when, you, when you think about how do I become better at networking, not think about how large your network is, but how good are you at listening to other people around you and understanding what their pain points are, whether it's for products that you're building or, or not. Um, and then being able to profile exactly the, the, the type of solution that would benefit this person in the long run. Um, Sean, one thing you, you definitely know about me is whenever we notice a problem, a lot of the conversation is not about, wow, that problem was really annoying and where can we complain about it? A lot of the conversation is about how do we fix this problem, right? And that's, a, that's an important mindset to get into if you aspire to be a PM and really any other 
role in society that goes to solve problems. And Samir, I really like the fact that you touch on having that closer relationship and having that closer bond with the people. Because a lot of common mistake that students make is they think that networking is having to know as many people as possible and you know, just have that surface relationship and you know, just knowing as many people. But what it comes down to is, in my opinion, networking is about having those people that will vouch for you, right? And by building those bonds and building that respect and trust over time, you'll naturally be closer and, you know, it's a vice versa, right? You will vouch for them. It's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship and not necessarily about, you know, having to know more people. So that's, that's my belief in the networking. And so I really thought that it's interesting you touched on that a little bit. I completely agree. Yeah, that, that's, that's super important. Like, I think, um, yeah, people that will vouch for you are like, are huge, right? You, you never know the opportunities are going to open up. Um, I think people that, that will think about you in given circumstances is also really fun. I, I have friends that may not be very technical, but whenever they see something about Microsoft, they reach out to me. To me, that's a very valuable connection, right? Because that shows that they're interested in something that I do and they remembered what I do, right? Um, I have friends that, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go places, they'll, um, you know, of course, your, your grandparents are always going to remember you when you have technical difficulties. <laughs> but uh, there's conversations you have that stick in people's minds, right? And every time they see something that reminds them of it, They'll, they'll want to re-engage with you on that topic. It's almost like the whole meme thing, but in real life. <laughs> yes, so Samir, on that note, we want to end with uh, one last question. And um, what do you think it takes to become a PM? There's no single thing that a person can have to be a PM or, or to be a great PM. Um, but rather, it's a really, really, really powerful drive to want to go and change something. Um, and the willingness to put in the energy to change that thing. If you have those two things, you have all the motivation to be a PM. You may have to you know, watch a few more YouTube videos and talk to a few people and, and read a few books after that, yeah. And listen to some more podcasts. And listen to some more podcasts. Um, but if, if you're someone that wants to make a change and wants to solve a hard problem and, and, and you're willing to pick up that phone and, and make the call, as we said earlier, then you're ready to be a PM. To summarize our conversation with Samir today, the three major takeaways on what he believes it takes to become a PM are one, start a side project. Two, always take the opportunity to network. That conversation may just lead to your next dream job. Three, never forget that you could be the one to solve the problem. Thank you, Samir, for joining our very first episode of our podcast. You brought in your unique experience to help people be more brave and pursue passionate ideas. We would also like to thank listeners for tuning in. We'll be back next episode to provide another unique perspective on what it takes to be a PM. And again, this is Ray. This is Sean. And this is What Does It Take?